This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Reunion Weekend, where past alumni have gathered to reconnect and learn. This is a special presentation of Knowledge at Wharton from the Business Radio Studio on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back to Knowledge at Wharton and Reunion Radio here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. A term that is growing in the business world is engagement marketing. The idea behind the concept is for companies to be able to work with their customers to be able to better serve their needs. Ziad Baba is a senior director of engagement marketing with Credit Karma, a company that many of you may know uh, deals in credit scores, helping provide information uh, to uh, customers across uh, the United States. He's also a 2013 Wharton grad and back on campus for his uh, fifth reunion. Nice meeting you. Thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So I guess first let's take a step back and think about this idea of engagement marketing. We know marketing, but engagement marketing, in your mind, how has that really kind of developed, especially in the last few years where companies want to be more connected with their consumers? Totally. It's definitely probably a more recent trend. It's the idea of having starting to have a relationship with your customers and having to engage with them on a more regular basis. And so the idea with it, it's not just like acquiring users, but how do you maintain the relationships over time? And so with engagement marketing, our focus is on retaining our users. Our focus is on making sure that we deliver the value that we promise our users, and not just in one interaction, but over their lifetime. And so it covers anything from all the notification channels, from emails and push notification, but also it actually goes into the world of analytics and in product. And so it focuses on actually coming up with products and features that help retain our customers and make them more loyal over time. So that you can be able to understand realistically before the the customer even thinks about potentially leaving the company, you can understand, make that connection with them and keep them as a, as a loyal customer. Totally. I mean, it starts always with understanding what the customer wants and needs, whether that's actually asking them or predicting it based on their behavior or based on their data and then delivering on that value through their interactions right. over time. So how does that work in the world of Credit Karma, which obviously, as I said, is most noted for credit scores? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people use the credit score for different things. Some people use their credit score to apply for a new product. Some people actually come to Credit Karma because they want to monitor their credit information. Yeah. If you want to build your credit score from scratch, your needs are very different than someone who actually has a very high or excellent credit score and wants to protect it. So our job is to understand where you're coming from, what your needs are, and then cater our service based on those needs. So if you want to build your credit score, for instance, my job is to make sure that I'm giving you all the notification, all the products and the features that can help you with that. But if your job, if you're interested, let's say, in applying for a financial product, then my job is to also help you find those products. And if it's, if you're, if you're interested in actually protecting your ID or your identity, then my job is to monitor your credit and make sure that if anything happens to it, you're the first person to know. So you can either dispute those errors or, you know, file uh, any, you know, any changes on that. But obviously, uh, in terms of the the society that we live in today, the fact that we have such easier connection through digital, email, text, whatever it might be, that makes that process, I would imagine, just a tad bit easier than maybe what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, totally. I mean, the especially now with, with mobile phones, uh, it's extremely easy to tap you on the shoulder through a push notification and tell you, you know, Dan, there's something happening on your credit. 
and, and, and do it in real time. So the second, for example, we get in, um, an instance of an alert from uh, our credit, the credit bureaus, mm-hmm. we're able to deliver that message in real time. So think of, it, think of it this way. You're at the dealership. You're applying for – you want to get a car. You're applying yeah. for, for an auto loan. The second the car, the car dealership is, is, is doing a, a check on your credit, you're in the dealership. You're getting a notific- buzz in your phone that tells you, like, is that you? Yeah. So the relationship is pretty intimate and really fast. So part of that is the security feature, which seemingly is a huge topic right now, uh, of the personal data that people have, that companies obviously have when you're talking about the notifications, but making sure that that data is secure as much as possibly you you can. Totally. This is paramount for the company, and uh, this is where we spend a lot of money is make sure, making sure that that information is safe and never compromised. So PII, or, or personal identifiable, identifiable information, is extremely important. And we've seen how it's it's one of those things where you can, you know, you gain it in, in, you know, in drips and you lose it in buckets. So yeah. it's really important to, for us to invest in the security of that information, information and not share it with third party and not share it with anyone else. And so there's a lot of that investment because that's how the trust is being built. We're talking with uh, Ziad Baba of uh, Credit Karma. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. I want to shift for a second and, and talk about your Wharton experience because you were out in San Francisco, correct? I am, yeah. Yeah. So having the campus out there now, being here in Philadelphia, what's that that that, that knowledge back and forth of, of not only having this experience here, but now having the campus out in San Francisco? I think it was, is, it was huge. Uh, I was part of the first... Uh, uh, class. I actually went to San Francisco for the semester in San Francisco back in 2012. So it was yeah. part of the guinea pigs who were trying to do the full-time MBAs in SF. And that was a, that was definitely a life-changing experience because I got to live in San Francisco. I got to meet uh, people who ended up being my future employers. I ended up you know, meeting, connecting with my friends who are today my friends in San Francisco. So having that campus was a, definitely like a huge step forward coming from Philadelphia. And then having it after graduation is also a huge advantage. I definitely take advantage of a lot of the uh, courses and, and networking events that happen on, on campus in San Francisco. So I think it's a, it's a great way to stay connected to that community uh, on, the, on the West Coast. What has the, the Wharton experience that you had in school meant to you post-graduation uh, outside of the connections? Outside the connection, I would say there's, there were definitely like some courses that I definitely took away with and some really strong, I would say, insights from really good professors. Uh, I go back. One of, one of them, for instance, is the uh, I remember the legal aspects of entrepreneurship uh, uh, by Mr. Borghese. And I, you know, as uh, uh, when when you start uh, in the, when you work in the in the startup world, uh, it's not always ups; it's ups and downs. Right. And one thing, for instance, that I had to do as as an operator in in a in a smaller company. This is, was prior to Credit Karma, um, was to help restructure the company and lay off people, uh, which was a h- very hard experience, but. You know, we had some exposure to that at school. We we had we had learned how to do things. We had learned, you know, what are the what, you know, when to talk to a counsel, what are things to ask, and that background definitely was helpful. Um, so there's definitely the course material that I took away from that. Um, most importantly, I think what what Wharton taught me was, I think Wharton was actually like a very nice learning experiment. So um, I tested things, I tried things, I learned, I failed, and from that I kind of understood like what is the path I want to go forward with yeah um, and I think that was was pretty pretty important because coming out of school I knew where I want to be 
San Francisco, for example, the industry I want to be in, the size of the company I want to work with, the type of work I want to, I want to be involved in. So Wharton kind of created that huge kind of safe environment to experiment and test yeah. so I can figure out exactly what I want to be uh, doing after school. What's amazing is that in this day and age, whether it be in San Francisco, Philadelphia, or even some smaller towns, that entrepreneurial spirit just you know continues to be there. And, and I think what's what's incredible is that it isn't just San Francisco. It isn't just New York. It isn't just Philadelphia. That there are entrepreneurs with these ideas in cities across the United States. And, and that expansion, I think, allows us to build an even greater economy in this country. I agree. I mean, that's that's how businesses start. People are taking risks. People are just trying to get away from uh, the boxes and the frames that are set or just you know join a big company. They want to do something different. They want to try to... You know, start something on their own or change an industry that I think isn't working completely well. So, uh, and I think a lot of that, a lot of that confidence comes from you know, going to school and 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 seeing how it's done at in bigger companies or in different geographies or how other classmates have done it in the past. Uh, getting some ideas by by rubbing shoulders with people who have done it here. Um, so definitely, you know, starting here and then going to different cities in the world and taking that grain of entrepreneurship and. And start up and starting a business, I think it's pretty cool. I, I mentioned about obviously with Credit Karma and and all the work that they do uh, surrounding credit scores. Uh, you were telling me before we went on the air about I, I guess expansion that, that the company is trying to do into the world of tax preparation as well. Yeah, the vision for Credit Karma is to be a financial assistant to our user, to our members, and so uh, that goes beyond just providing a credit score and credit information. So um, in 2016, we announced that we're going to be start we're going to start uh, a tax preparation software. And so this is the second year we've been operating in that space. And the difference between Credit Karma and other companies is that we always focus on delivering a service for free for our users. We don't try to gimmick. We don't try to upsell. We don't try to squeeze, um, you know, $1 here, $1 there. All our services are completely for free. And so we've had pretty good success in the first year where we closed roughly like a million uh, users to actually mm -hmm. who filed their taxes for free on Credit Karma, savings, you know, saving hundred millions of dollars that they will have typically paid on other competitors. Um, and this is the second way we've been doing it, and we want to keep adding more features and more um, and more services in the financial space that can help our users save money and make financial progress. Well, and, and part of it, I would imagine, is the more you can connect to the consumer on different levels, yep. the more you get that, that sense of loyalty. It's to a little bit of a degree what Apple has done you know, over the last couple of decades in terms of the connectivity with all the devices that Apple uh, customers have. Completely agree. We want to we essentially be the, uh, the money button on your phone, essentially. Any, anytime you think of anything that is related to your finances, you think Credit Karma is there and has your back, whether that's from preparing your taxes or claiming unclaimed money. So a lot of people, for example, this is a feature that we have on, on the site, on the app. People, some people don't know about it, but there's a lot of money that is unclaimed that sure. is sitting in like the coffers yep. of controllers across states. Yep. We have that database on Credit Karma, so you can file that. You can actually claim that money for free on our service. Um, same thing with ID protection. That's a new service that we launched earlier this earlier last year, uh, plus credit monitoring, plus um, credit score, and we're also now uh, adding um, transactional data. So you can actually connect your accounts, your bank accounts, your savings accounts with Credit Karma, and you can start seeing your spending data on a regular basis. The idea is to become this, you know, one-stop shop for anything related to your finances. Anything, anytime you think about your your money, you come to Credit Karma because you know we have your back. But you have to do that in this day and age, or else you're going to get left behind. I, I mean, the consumers consumers are looking for that ability to be a one-stop shop. Uh, think of Amazon. You know, you have Amazon Prime. That's 
people like that because it, it's relatively a one-stop shop. Same thing with what you guys are trying to do. Totally. Uh, the difference I would say is uh, between Amazon and, and, and companies in financial space is that I think people are still afraid of their finances. People don't take – they have some apprehension or some – uh, some hesitation when it comes to finances because right. there's this idea that like you know, finance is hard or it takes a lot of effort. Um, and so the difference what we're trying to make here is we're trying to do a lot of the heavy lifting on our members' behalf. So, for example, with credit monitoring, um, you don't have to come and check Credit Karma every day. We're going to tell you if something happens and if something's worth your attention. Right. Um, and same thing with taxes. We're trying to make things easier, do all the heavy lifting on your behalf. And so we want to be that one-stop shop, but we don't want people. We, don't, we want people to come and then explore and try to figure out what they want. We want to be that. We want to be that person, you know, that friend who's nudging you if something matters for you. Right. So we don't want to. We don't necessarily want you to come here like every single day and like spend hours and hours. We only want to tell you if something really matters for you, whether it's like a savings that you can actually get, or an unclaimed money, or taxes you want to save, or your ID is being, you know, uh, under threat. Would be safe to say that. Uh the best way to explain it is, is you're there, you're a friend, but you're kind of a little bit in the background and, and you're there if you need them. Totally. That's kind of how the assistant actually works. Your assistant is not going to bombard you with questions right. and information all the time. They're just going to be there when you need them. Uh, and sometimes, you know, potentially predicting what your needs are right. and saying like, hey, you know, why are you spending, let's say, you know, hundreds of dollars more than you should on your on your car insurance. Yeah. Uh, we have a way better offer for you because, you know, your credit score is actually way better than it was when you actually got your car in the beginning. And we found this amazing opportunity that you can you can save $100 a month. When we have this information, we want to prompt you and we want to we want to ping you and tell you like, "Hey, we have that that thing for you." So, how do you think that that understanding is going to change? Maybe it already is with Credit Karma. Uh, is going to change the customer service experience because that is seemingly an area where some companies do very well in it and they know that there's a, a, a delicate balance in terms of working with the customer and then some companies don't do it well enough and they kind of are overboard and too much connection and it actually drives customers away. It's a, it's a very delicate balance. This is what we keep trying to experiment with and try to you know perfect. It's... Um, the way we've we've been doing it traditionally is like we I'll give you one 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 example specifically where in the world of engagement marketing um, we're pretty strict for example with our email policy we don't email you more than once every seven days that's right. a strict rule unless there's like a ID theft or something that needs your attention right, right away right we don't we're not going to bombard you with information like that uh, if we have an offer for example if you know for for instance that you are going to save money on a credit card or personal loan or a mortgage. Those type of offers or those type of recommendations, we don't send you more than one every month. Right. And so by having, for example, like those like very hard rules, what we did is we kind of we protected the relationship that we have with our users. Like when users get an email from Credit Karma, they know it's something important. Right. They know that's something worth their time. They're going to open that email and they're going to talk and they're going to you know click on that and they're going to engage with us. That's one way we were able to kind of protect that sacred relationship that we have with our users. Another way is customer support and, and you know, having more, more channels where you can do customer support. So whether that's like live chat, whether that's email, mm -hmm. and, and being present if you have any questions on the site. So that's another way of also interacting with our users. A third is we also are uh, pretty, I would say, present on, on the air with commercials where we try to explain the value of Credit Karma, also explain some of the services that we have on a more regular basis. Yeah. And through all those touch points, we maintain one level of awareness, but we also maintain the level of trust that our users and members uh, need to engage with us for financial reasons.
We're joined in studio by Zia Baba of Credit Karma. He is the Senior Director of Engagement Marketing. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The other thing I wanted to get into is just technology in general, because obviously what we have seen in the growth of, of technology is, is just incredible in the last decade or so, even in the last few years. How has the use of technology really impacted what even the credit service industry is trying to do at this point? I mean, it, it, it changed everything. So Credit Karma, Credit Karma started 10 years ago where, for, for instance, credit scores were and credit reports uh, were the sacred thing that people didn't have access to. You, you would have to go to a free credit report or freecreditscore.com and you get it once a year for free. But otherwise, you'd have to pay a monthly fee that was pretty high on, yeah. a, you know, regular, on a monthly basis, obviously. So technology enabled us to take that information, ingest it, and deliver it using different services, whether it's a website or the app, and do it for free. Uh, and that's a huge leap. Um, technology is also empowering the services that we do every single day. So obviously when people connect their accounts or connect themselves to Credit Karma, they give us their financial information. They give, the, they give us their social security number. They give us their financial report. And so storing that information is very important. And technology yeah. helps us under, you know, store it safely, but also helps us sift through that data and understand who our users are and yeah. be able to surface the right products and features for them. And how different is that when you're talking about the wide spectrum of different customers that you are actually working with, whether it be millennials or whether it be the baby boomer generation, where that understanding of the technology may be a little bit different? Totally. And what we see, for example, is definitely a huge penetration when it comes to millennials. One out of two millennials uses credit karma today, so which is a an amazing, uh, an, an amazing number. But we also see a lot of more senior people also use Credit Karma. There's a, a strong usage of people who are 55 plus who are heavy Credit Karma users. They may not be app users. They're definitely desktop users. They may not come as frequently as as more yo- as younger users on the app, but they're there and they check Credit Karma on a more reg- on a regular basis. And so, technology also has this amazing ability to connect with different generations because yeah. everyone can find their way with technology, whether it's the an app or a pro- or a, or a website you'll find your the flavor that you need to be able to consume that information. Most people will. I've, I know a few people in my family where the technology does still tend to be a battle. But that being said, th- that's where at times you can have other elements to to the engagement part, other touch points to be able to, to fill in those blanks when the technology end of it may not be resonating with that particular customer. Totally. And we're constantly... Um examining and exploring other options and other channels to engage with our users. Like we're definitely considering SMS as another channel to talk yeah. to people who actually don't have the app or don't want to have an app. But let's say if you are, you know, if you're not a huge technology user, but you do have a phone, you, you do receive SMS and you would want to be alerted if someone is stealing your, your ID. Sure, yeah. And so we're going to find those, those channels. Direct mail is another channel that we could be also exploring to understand how we can reach our users hmm. uh, in a way that is convenient for them. That's interesting because, I, I mean, I think a lot of people believe direct mail was something that was kind of going away. But, I mean, it seemingly has, has a life to it. It's, I mean, we still receive a lot of direct mails in our mailbox, right? Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of banks still make a lot of their money from direct mail offers, right? So it is still a channel. It's obviously not as popular as, as it used to be before. There's a lot of now services that kind of help you opt out from a lot of mail. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's also, it's similar like any to any channel. You have to manage it very carefully and you have to know when to touch your users. And, and again, no matter what the touch point is, it's again, going back to something you said a moment ago, is that it's understanding what that right frequency is of connecting to the consumer. You can't inundate them 
but you also can't be once a month, once six months, once every 12 months if you're going to be successful. It's finding that right ratio to be able to, to make it work. Totally. And that's what we're doing right now. So we're investing a lot in, in analytics. We're investing a lot in data science modeling that will help us understand for each user what is the right frequency of interaction they want and what is the right channel that they would want us to talk to them on. So you might be a seven-day person, so you will receive an email every seven days or a push every seven days, but you may be like a 90-day person. And we want to predict that informa- that data well well ahead of actually like breaking the trust that we have with you uh, to manage the communication frequency and channels. And so we're investing a lot in that information, that analysis, to be able to cater our services to your needs. Uh, we're do- joined here by uh, Ziad Obaba of uh, Credit Karma. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. What and being out in the Bay Area? What's the, the the obviously for the benefit of all those other companies? You know, being in that kind of that community and that, those connections that you have out there with Credit Karma and other entities to be able to build out relationships. It's huge. If you want to be in technology, I think if you want to be in financial technology, there are a few places that can compete with San Francisco. Uh, just the amount of companies, the amount of innovation, the amount of people who actually have the same interests and passion, and they're trying to do something uh, in the in this industry, um, is tremendous. Um, so I consider myself extremely lucky to be part, to be able to live and work in the Bay Area at this moment in history, because you definitely see a lot of fervor, a lot of intensity, a lot of ideas floating around, um, and whether that's like conferences that are literally like next door to your office. Uh, or it could be networking events or meetups with like-minded people or just going like knocking on another company's door and exchanging notes those things are extremely uh, frequent very you know just everywhere so it definitely feels like a, there's a feeling of camaraderie and and collaboration across the bay and people want to learn from each other they want to challenge each other each other and they want to see how they can take their practices even forward by by taking like some pages from other people's playbooks, and again the the connection of being in there, you're talking about uh, trying to build out uh, the services that you're talking about with the technology as a, as a as a combination pack. There, the fact that that we are so connected to our devices, seemingly it feels like it will make it easier. Again, knowing what that that ratio is to be able to continue to connect with people, even with the changes in technology that we're seeing in the future. Yeah, that's the hope. Uh, your phone gives you this immediate access to someone. Yeah. But to, 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 again, to, to, to your point specifically, um, push notification is that channel that you know we can reach you on your phone. But that's the most intimate way we can actually talk to you. And that's a channel that we, we are extremely careful about. We don't send you more than your credit notification today on your phone. We won't, we're never sending. We're not. We're not sending you right now any offers. We're not sending you any other recommendations, because as much as we know that this is a device that you have in your phone every day, yeah. we want to protect that relationship, and we don't want to invade it by, and and spoil it. Because, you know, in a in a click of a button, you can actually unsubscribe from notification, yeah. Yeah. and you can say, you know, guys, thank you, but no, thank you, right? And so you want to preserve that relationship. So no matter what device is going to be, you're always going to have to put some limits and understand. What is the right frequency? What is the right message that this person wants to have at this point in time on this device? It's a unique understanding that I think a lot of companies have, maybe not all, that each person is different in terms of what that 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 touch point, what that ratio is. You know, that that I'm gonna be a lot different from you 
in terms of how I want to be connect, uh, contacted, how I want to be connected to in, in the years to come. Totally. And we try to do a lot of those this work upstream by predicting who you are and the frequency that you want to have communication yeah. with. Yeah. But we also put a lot of the tools in your hands. So a lot of companies now, if you if you look at your app, they give you communication preferences. Yeah. You can turn off the, the your your communication. You can snooze them. You can you can change the frequency from once a day to once a week to once a month. You can select what type of communication you want, which yeah. ones you want to suppress. So they're trying to give us as much of those information, those tools in your hands, so you can. Cater, or you can customize the communication with the company that you're dealing with. I will tell you this. If it was with me, specifically, I'd say as long as you don't bother me during my favorite sports game, then I'm in good shape. Outside of that, but it, but it does go to even that minute detail of being able to understand when are the right and, and wrong times to connect with somebody. Yeah, hopefully our models will predict that. You know, right, exactly. That exactly, yeah. Nice meeting you, Ziad. Thank Th you for coming in. Enjoy your time on campus. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Ziad Obaba from uh, Credit Karma joining us here uh, on the uh, Reunion Radio Special. You're listening to a special presentation of Knowledge at Wharton, celebrating Wharton's Reunion Weekend. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Knowledge of Wharton, our reunion radio special. A little Metallica to remember the year 2017. Great to have you with us on our reunion radio special. As, we're, uh, as we mentioned, we're playing uh, music from the years of our graduates that we are interviewing on the show. That song from 2017, Hardwired by Metallica, uh, which came out last year. And our next guest, from what I understand, is a little bit of a metalhead, plays in a, a metal band as well. Uh, but our next guest, our final guest here on this special, has quite a diverse background. He was uh, born and raised near Bogota, Colombia, graduated with high honors in engineering, came to the U.S., went after a master's degree in theoretical physics. He has also researched the spread of epidemics in the Southwest. He has helped his community by working for Teach for America, and now... He has an interest in corporate finance after being a Wharton grad in 2017. Uh, Felipe Gonzalez joins us here in the studio. Did I get all of that right? You did. Thank you very much. Wow, very that, excited to be here. But that's 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 an incredible background, and obviously part of it, uh, starting coming from from Bogota, Colombia. Thank you very much. Correct. So, uh, what was it that that got you started uh, wanting to be here at Wharton in the first place? Well. Um, so my decision to come to Warden came much later yep. in my, my career. After spending four years actually working in business, I was working uh, for Pearson, the world's leading education company. I was helping build digital products uh, for the classroom, and we're actually selling them here at Penn and MIT and other places. Um, but at some point, I felt like I really needed the MBA to take my career to the next level. I wanted to pivot into corporate finance. I really developed a passion for understanding and helping business, uh, businesses make money and, and doing it the right way and, and helping customers. So that was a little later in life. But um, earlier in life, because I was fortunate enough to attend an American school in Colombia, I always knew that I wanted to be in the U.S. and I wanted to like sort of build my adult life here. And, and I'm very very honored and grateful that I was able to, to do it. So what was it that, that got you that bug about corporate finance specifically? Was there something that, that you saw? So, yes, I, 
Um, I was involved in very technical aspects of the products we were building. Right. Um, but I realized that I didn't know enough. I, I didn't really know what a – I'm not embarrassed to say. I didn't know what a P&L was, what a balance sheet was. And sure. I needed that um, exposure uh, to hopefully one day be a CEO or CFO of a, of a major corporation. And I, I just needed – that um, training that I just didn't have and that exposure and the network that I got here has been incredible. So now you work with PepsiCo. I work at the headquarters of PepsiCo. Up in um, in, up in, per- New- in Purchase. Purchase, Purchase mm-hmm. New York. Correct. And you're talking about a company, speaking of global finance, that has its, its, uh, its fingerprints on a lot of different sectors, not just the beverage market, Correct. but snacks and, and all kinds of different areas, and not, again, just here in the U.S., but a global perspective. Correct. So PepsiCo, very, very excited to be there. We have presence in over 200 countries, which is kind of uh, <laughs> a huge number. Um, I believe we have 22 mega brands. So mega brand is a billion in sales. Yeah. We have 22 of those. Um, and we have huge footprint, as you said, in beverage and also in snacks. Uh, Frito-Lay are... Our snack business is is doing uh, uh, incredible. So what specifically within corporate finance are you involved with at PepsiCo? So I'm currently managing um, or helping manage because it it really is a a big place, helping manage the the packaging category. Uh, So anything that is flexible. Right. I think any flexible packaging uh, goes through our team, and we're responsible for something like uh, a billion dollars in spend each year. So it's – if you think from – my pre-MBA um, experience managing maybe a million-dollar budget to managing now a billion. It's, yeah. it, it really – and that's thanks to Wharton. So it shows you what the Wharton MBA can do for and, you. And that's across all the landscape of, of what PepsiCo does, not just one or two specific brands, correct? Correct. It's across beverage, um, sorry, beverage and food. Um, and the vast majority of what I do, is, it is North America, but but it gives me great visibility into the different parts of the business. I was going to ask you, how, how much do you get the opportunity to either converse with other employees like yourself in other parts of the world that are doing similar types of work? So uh, don't forget, I've only been there nine months, right? Yeah. I'm still learning a lot, uh, but it's been um, – I've been able to, for example, uh, work with the, the team in Brazil and learn how they do things. It, the, every region, every sector does things very differently. Yeah. Um, and um, we are in in a, in a very interesting time where we're really thinking through our productivity and our cost-saving initiatives and, yeah. and how to really leverage the global footprint that we have, how to how to better interact with our suppliers. And, and we have a lot of challenges now with not just us, but everybody with commodity. We had, you know, the big yeah. storm in, 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 Puerto in Rico. Texas. Oh, and yeah. Mostly yeah. the one is, that affects uh, crude and that affects resins and all these um, uh, things. So so really getting a full picture on, on, on the business. Is it amazing to you that, uh, I mean, as you're developing this out, how many other factors there are in terms of what a lot of people wouldn't consider to be the the straight line success of a product or of a company how many outside factors there are you mentioned storms price of crude etc 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 you could throw about 15 more etc on top of that that are, are impactful to the bottom line of a company correct so uh, as i said learning a lot and and i i'm thankful that award and i got the theoretical background to sort of build my knowledge 
um, and and now, now at a place of the breath and death of PepsiCo, I'm I'm getting that exposure and that that sort of practice into well the the day to day activity and and it is an incredibly complex uh, company and industry and um it's a very exciting time to be in it because of all the challenges and, and the learning opportunity is just just great. Well, are there great shifts that you see coming, especially in your part of the business? with a company like Pepsi? Definitely. So I, I could say in, in more like high-level terms, um, there is, uh, a, you know, from the consumer perspective, uh, there's a huge push for healthier options. Yeah. Uh, consumers are shifting from the physical store to online very quickly. Um, sometimes it's hard to capture um, how fast those uh you know, the, the consumer is changing their mind and, and, and their, their preferences. Yeah. Uh, so we are leveraging analytics and we're leveraging technology and artificial intelligence and a lot of things are underway to try to have a better understanding of, of, of the consumer. And um, as far as my part of the business um, or the, the part that I, that I touch, um, well, we are we have to be monitoring what's going on with trade and yeah. what are know we're having all these conversations about like, what's happening with China now that you know there's going to be a you know talks with North Korea and all these things and and now summer's coming so are we going to have storms and how hard are they going to hit us and and you know it's it's always and it every day I'm learning something new and I'm really um appreciating the the whole the whole experience you mentioned the word theoretical a little while ago uh you went after a master's in theoretical physics which Correct. you know again that's that's a unique area what was it that that originally you thought was you know was that was a path that you wanted to follow so i um i was i was very um good at math yeah. uh from from an early age and um i when as i was going through engineering school i realized that i um had an interest in more at that point in my life, right, things have changed. But at that point, I wanted to be more involved in research, and I thought I, I wanted to become a professor. When I was actually going through the process, I realized that wasn't the path I wanted, yeah. but I am glad I did it. I, I, I had a, an amazing opportunity to work with uh, brilliant scientists in, in um, University of New Mexico, Los Alamos uh, National Labs. And uh, my advisor, I'm, I'll, I will always be grateful for my advisor, uh, Professor Ken Cree. He's a, he's a world-renowned um, stati- statistical mechanics um, person. And um, I was, I just needed to have that sort of experience of what is it to actually write papers and publish papers and yeah. and, and 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 lead conferences. And and the life of a scientist is very different from the life, say, of, of, of a business person, but. I really wanted to experience it, and and I was also at the time I wanted to teach. I want I, that my initial thought I wanted to become a professor, and as I said, things didn't work out the way I wanted. The the experience was was just different, but I am glad I did it and learned a lot. But the expectations of, of leadership that you pick up from both are are probably similar in certain in certain dynamics as well. Correct. So there's always the basic. 
uh, tenets that you know I learned from my parents of working hard and being you know having integrity and um, always and 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 helping others. That's also always been a big part of my uh, always big part of my upbringing, and I, I still try to do it uh, as time permits. Is to help lift others, um, especially those of us who come from uh, underrepresented groups or groups who have been marginalized uh, in in some shape or form. It, it is a huge part of my of my um, if it was, I guess. And I think a lot of that it obviously plays a uh, it's a it's a big story here in the United States right now. And Correct. obviously the the issues surrounding immigration are obviously a, a very very important. You coming from Colombia, you, you certainly have obviously a connection similar to what a lot of people are, are seeing right now here in the United States. Correct. So it's a very um, sensitive topic, and I'm glad we're, we're we're able to touch on it here and. Um, it is a critical uh, time in our. Uh, I am now um, a permanent resident of, of the U.S. Uh, Congratulations! So thank you. And so uh, I, I think of this country as my country now. Right. And um, and uh, yeah, it's a critical uh, time. Uh, there's a lot of emotions in many different directions going around. Um, and um, I am um, I am glad I'm, I'm I'm being part of the conversation. But that being said, I mean, your home country of Colombia has obviously gone through a significant change in, in the last 20 years or so from what people knew of it as one of the obviously uh, greatest area where there was concern of drug use, mm-hmm. uh, where it has changed to it's it's a burgeoning economy right now. Correct. And I would think that for you has to be incredibly uh, optimistic for what Colombia can be in the years to come. Definitely. So I, you know, very pleased um by by seeing you know the change from the time I was raised in like the 80s and 90s to to what it is now there's still many challenges we you know in in my dad works in a furniture store and you know he's getting a lot of um you know the 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 market is now flooded by for example chinese um products yeah. which have hurt the economy but there's also a lot of opportunity um i i i think the education sector has has improved uh, significantly and um, there's there's um, you know the peace process um, has of course brought a new um, of course new challenges but also a, a different uh, air and a different sort of spirit to 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 what Colombia is and and, and I'm I can't wait to see what what the future holds I would think that that the hope also is the fact that What's maybe turning around in Colombia right now is something that you will eventually see in Venezuela in the years to come as well. Hopefully, um, I I, um, <clears throat> I have uh, some some friends from uh, Venezuela who unfortunately had to leave their homeland because of the situation there. Um, I I it, it is really heartbreaking what's happening there, and um, um, it. it <laughs> It, it. I mean, I'm, I can only hope that that things will will get better uh, there. So, what is this perspective that that you bring? I mean, obviously coming from Colombia and the education that you got there, and now coming to the United States and and, and doing the work that you've done both in, in the you know in the business sector, but also in the in the community as well. What is that brought to you to the experience that you want to bring forward here in the United States? Um, I I would I would go back to the first principles of hard work and integrity and honesty and treating everybody with respect. Um, 
that's that's how I was raised. Um, I've I've seen a lot of that for sure in the U.S. One of the things I love about the U.S. is a culture of um, accountability and people thinking in terms of improving themselves yeah. rather than waiting for the government or whoever else to do things for them. And I think we need to keep uh, working along those lines. Um, I also think that there should be some sort of safety net for when things go wrong. And yeah. there's, of course, the debate, how big should the government be? How small yeah. should we have these? Um, and I think that as a society, we should have, uh, we should strengthen certain things. Uh, I think in terms of healthcare, uh, the, the, the cost of healthcare in America is ridiculous. I see yeah. it in my own bills. I have great <laughs> insurance from PepsiCo. And I, sometimes my bills, I'm like, I, it, it's really hard. So, so these are things that are still unresolved. And different administrations have done th- different things. And, and, and these, are, these are very important problems that are, still need to be fixed. And we need Wharton. We need government. We need uh, business. We need everybody helping um, come up with ideas and, and yeah. ways to resolve it to actually tackle the problem. It's interesting because, you know, in a lot of what you have done in your career, especially recently, technology obviously plays a, a huge role when you're at Pearson and, as you said, doing the, the development work that you were doing there. But I would imagine at Pepsi as well that, that, that technology has to play a huge role in what you're seeing happen on a day-to-day basis, correct? Correct. So we um, Pepsi is um, working to... Um, Again, because we are, we really want to understand the consumer. The consumer is changing um, pretty much every second and every minute. So, um, we're leveraging technology, dashboards, analytics uh, to make this um, happen in, in to, to understand the, the, the changes in, in as close to real time as possible. And so that we can spend more time strategizing and really um, making the, the best decisions. For the business and you know for, for for the consumer, you're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are joined here in studio by Felipe Gonzalez, who is a 2017 uh, Wharton grad, uh, and he is uh, also an associate finance manager at Pepsi. Uh, is it the expectation that, that you have in terms of your personal career? You said you you are so interested in finance right now. Is that where you see your path? Or I mean, because you have had such a a diverse background, are, are there other areas that that still are very intriguing to you? So, I in terms of my core career moving forward, I do want to stay in 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 corporate finance, um, and and of course at PepsiCo. But um, I there's other things that I'm passionate about. Uh, so community outreach. Um, I am very active in the LGBT community. Um, um, whether it's within Pepsi or outside, uh, you know, we have employee resource groups. We have the you know the Latino group. We have uh, the Asian group. We have all these all these groups, and it really is meant to um, bring awareness and help educate the company and the and the 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 employee base about these groups of people because it turns out that we're just trying to replicate our consumer base. If we understand our consumers, we're going to be a better company. We're going to be yeah. able to make better decisions. It's as simple as that. And as far as uh, our employees, we want people to bring their whole self to work and to be authentic. We don't want them to 
to be hiding who they really are or, or being ashamed of who they are that we want them to have. And then and, and PepsiCo is definitely doing uh, a lot on that, uh, that, that regard. And that distinction is important because obviously a, a company like Pepsi that is involved in all that it is in is obviously making a, a lot of connection with their customers on the outside. But you still have to have that philosophy within the inside as well to, to be able to have that internal success. Correct. So it, it is it is crucial. Um, and I, I really applaud um, the efforts of the company. Uh, PepsiCo has a long history of um, strong relationships with underserved uh, groups, and um, I I believe, if I remember correctly, the first African American person in the U.S. to ever reach VP um, status at a at a major company was at PepsiCo back right. in maybe in the '60s or '70s, and so speaks to the commitment of the other other company. Uh, and the leaders and every, pretty much everybody else to to uh, empower these groups. And, and as I said, understanding the customer base, the demographics of, of the U.S. are changing yeah. like, very quickly. And if companies don't understand and don't fully incorporate these changes into their product line and, and the, the way they think, they're not they're just not going to thrive and they're gonna, eventually they're going to disappear. How much do you think that the experience you've had at, at Wharton enhances some of those topics that you just you just talked about. So, um, Wharton did does I know for a fact an amazing job at bringing um, at empowering students from diverse backgrounds to to do exactly what I'm what I'm doing. It's going into a major corporation in a leadership role where yeah. you know before Wharton and, and maybe a few years back I never would have. Imagine that I, I would be in a, in a position like this, and and they do it by, you know, Wharton traditionally has been thought of as you know this Wall Street feeder, yeah, and it's so much more than that. I mean, and yes, we 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 and we have PepsiCo, we have great relationships with, with the street, right? But there's so much more to business than just that, and 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 um, they the, the really, and I I have to thank Dean Garrett and his team for for really helping transform the school in the in the past four or five years because it, it really it really shows and and i'm i'm really proud of of being a, a working well grad. And, and almost to a degree the the those types of of relationships in business where it's not just you know the financial part of it but it's right. the community feel as well those end up being almost as important a, a, as the actual core finance ones these days correct so we have an obligation to our shareholders but as Indra, my you know my CEO at, at PepsiCo will say we you know, we, we we perform with purpose. So we perform financially, mm-hmm. but we do it in a way that is responsible with the environment, with our customers, with our employees, and everybody is happy <laughs> because everybody's being treated well. Their shareholders are getting the return that they expect, yeah. and the consumers are getting the products that they that they expect from us, and 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 the employees are working at a you know, working at a, at, a, at a top company, and and so everybody's is happy. And, well, and more and more companies are thinking along that line, uh, but there still are some out there that that don't necessarily mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that it's disappointing to you to a degree that there are companies out there that don't share that same type of mentality. Correct. So, of course, you know, I won't, I won't. We're not going to name. Yeah, names we're not. There. We don't have to name them. Yeah, but uh, we know they're out there, and e- either they. They change, and, and, and I mean, we're seeing 
scandal after scandal, right? Every every week there yeah. seems to be a different thing, and um, it, they're failing to some. Some of them are failing to to adapt to to the the change that's happening, and and and, uh, and not just the, their bottom lines are are going to hurt, but um, their customer, as I said, the customer shifts more rapidly now than ever before. They have technology access like yeah. in their pocket, and then they can you know shift their dollars very quickly and and if organizations don't don't change and adapt quickly uh i don't think they're going to be around which mindset do you think is more prevalent in your homeland is it the one that is understanding of corporate social responsibility uh, of going the extra mile or are there still companies that are not being able to fulfill a lot of those elements so it's a little hard for me to to answer because i I never worked in business okay. in Colombia, right. but from from experience from my family, like for example, my dad who who, who um, manages a store, as I mentioned, um, and and other other folks, um, I it, it, even in Colombia we, we have we have a lot of work to do. There's there's a there's a, a, a huge mentality of keeping business in, in families and not expanding. Uh, not just ownership, but the 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 say the reach of the of the of the businesses that we have. Um, so there's definitely room for improvement. Um, but as I said, things have gotten better, and, and and I really hope that they will. It's great meeting you. Great meeting you too. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend here in Philadelphia. We'll do. Thank you very much for coming in, and Thank all you. the best to you with Pepsi and and your uh, your different projects that you're uh, you're involved with. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Great having you here. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.